This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome back to Launchpad on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Rob Conybeer. I'm a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show my next guest, Luis Perez. He is the founder and CEO at Remove. Luis, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me. So could you share the elevator pitch for Remove? What What is Remove? Absolutely. So Remove is ridding, ridding the, the world of clutter. We're by essentially making it simple to upcycle unwanted goods. And the idea is to ensure people end up with value in hands as opposed to things in the dumpster. Uh, we are a technology company that aims to bring efficiencies and data insight into the antiquated $500 billion not junk industry. And our mission is to reduce waste by increasing reuse. Did I hear you say upcycle? Yep. What does upcycle mean? So upcycling is when you own something and it still has life left in it. It's a way to find a new home for it. It's continued its use as opposed, uh, after it's, the first owner has had it. So it sounds like, to a certain extent, that's getting rid of junk. You have stuff, you don't want it around your house, maybe you have an extra chair... Time for a new so one. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. So it's uh, junk and not junk. The way Remove works is that we collect everything that a, someone wants to sell, donate, and recycle. And that includes everything from uh, furniture, electronics, appliances, clothing, art, jewelry, toys, essentially everything. Uh, and then we bring them in, and then whatever can actually be resold, it actually goes on consignment. And when it sells, the owner receives money back. Uh, items that uh, are below in that uh, that resale value, they get donated, and the person receives donation receipts. And then items that are really junk, they get recycled. So, from what I understand, with your offering, you take a picture of something, if it's one thing or a couple of things, and then text it to you. Correct. So, I would say ninety-five percent of our customers either text or upload photos of the items. Uh, and then from there, they get a message back, letting them know what the cost of the pickup is and, uh, and the resale assessment of the items. So, uh, and then so, from there, we schedule a pickup and we take care of everything. So when they get that message back, does it either say something like, we'll pick it up for free, or does it say, we're going to charge you $199 for pickup, but if we sell it, then you'll get your money back and some other money? How does that work, and how do you decide those pieces? Yeah, so we do charge a pick a pickup fee that's based on the volume that's being collected. And it's just based in terms of the size, how much space it's going to take up in the percentage of the truck. And that's mostly to cover our costs because we do send out a truck with a moving team. Uh, and then we tell them what items are going to be for resale. And then the resale items come in, they come in consignment, and that's when they get appraised. And once they get appraised, they get sold, and the person receives uh, 50% of the resale value. And when you do this... Do a lot of people do it just because they want to get something out of the house, or are they doing it because they think that they're going to make money? Or do they view the sale as something that offsets the cost of getting it taken away? Yeah, it's very interesting. I'd say the majority of the customers, what they care about is they want the stuff out of the house. The biggest thing is that they've had a headache. You know, imagine that garage that's full of stuff or that closet, or you're redecorating and you have a bunch of new furniture coming in. So the biggest need is just getting it out of the house, and they don't want it to end up in a dumpster. And then they want to be able to get some money back. A lot of the customers do care about, like, they'd like to be able to recoup the, the pickup fee. 
But it all depends. I mean, some pickups that we're doing are 95% recycling, and what we're offering is the convenience and hopefully getting a few items donated or sold as opposed to everything in the dumpster. And other times we're doing pickups that are high-end states, and it's all consignment, you know, very nice furniture or electronics. Yeah, I know one of the things that my girlfriend does is when we have something that we need to get rid of, she puts it up on Craigslist and (laughs) says something like, hey, first to get it gets it for free. And it's amazing how quickly people show up with a pickup truck and carry it out of your house. Yep. When you offer it for free, that does happen. Uh, whenever you're trying to sell something is where it becomes hard. In general, it takes about eight hours, uh, about four hours to sell one item online. So if you have, you know, one couch, you can do it, you know, spend the four hours. But imagine you have, you know, 10, 15 items. Now you're talking about, you know, 40 hours of work and few people really have the time to do it. And then the other problem is that if you have stuff that's a little bit, you know, different types of higher end pieces, then you don't want to sell it on Craigslist. You know, you're not going to sell a $3,000 couch or a really nice, uh, you know, Prada jacket on Craigslist. And then there's specific marketplaces that actually sell those very well. So what we're building on the back end is all the pipelines for the secondary goods market. So whenever an item comes in or a photo of an item that we build metadata around that item, and then we match it to the appropriate resale market. So then we, you know, we sell high-end furniture through, through certain marketplaces and clothing through others and uh, music equipment through others. And which geographies are you available in today? Today, we're currently in the Bay Area, hoping to expand to two new markets this year. Yeah, I think the model is pretty interesting because by charging for it up front, you can avoid losing money or at least keep from going underwater. And I remember there were some other startups that had similar ideas where they would you would drop things off and then they would auction them off on eBay or somewhere else. And what happened to those companies? Yeah, so that was a, a popular model in the early 2000s when uh, eBay came up. And it, it was, uh, I mean, I forgot, that was one of the movies where it was, uh, we sell it for you on eBay. And uh, most of them, what, the ones that ended up being successful were the ones that became very, very specific. And there were a few reasons for that. First of all, is uh, many of them wanted to have a retail location, and that didn't work just because it's inexpensive to have a retail location in a high-traffic area. The second one is that getting the expertise to be able to sell up a certain type of item and price it took a very long time. And then, obviously, the other one was that, you know, you're selling through eBay, you're pretty limited to only selling shippable items. So the ones that, the, the, the companies in that space that ended up being pretty successful, they, you know, they became very specific in clothing or electronics, and they just became a niche, a niche for that particular segment. And how many people are in the company today? So including employees and contractors, we're about between 15 and 20. And how, when did you get started? Oh, so we started, we've been bootstrapped. We started about four years ago, uh, and originally we started a little bit differently. Uh, the way we started was my wife was graduating from uh, graduate school, and uh, essentially we were at a party, and her classmates were freaking out. They didn't know what to do with their stuff before the move-out date a week later. And uh, I wasn't working at the time. I had just switched jobs. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to rent a pickup truck and a uh, self-storage unit and take, take everyone's stuff and then sell it to the incoming students in the fall. And the idea there was like there was a market disconnect. You had a lot of buyers you know, at the end of the spring semester, but no, a lot of sellers, but no buyers. And in the, in the fall, it was the opposite. So my idea there was like, you know, let's build up this, let's improve this market inefficiency where you have between buyers and sellers. Uh, and then we bootstrapped it and then we, you know, pivoted and learned and grew until the current model. 
And what's the craziest thing that somebody has asked you to pick up so far? Oh, Jesus. I mean, there's things that we shouldn't talk about on the radio, but uh, most of them have been, uh, I mean, we've had one that it was about... It's Sirius XM. You can say anything. <laughs> Every single type of adult entertainment and toys has happened. Uh, we've had oh, a collection. We used a collection of about, about $80,000 of train equipment, of model trains, uh, that, which is a pretty crazy one. We've gotten one that has been, you know, lamps that were made by like this Japanese manufacturer that are, are each worth about $15,000. So it goes, we've had dolls, like partner dolls, uh, a little bit of everything. Wow. Anything that's been too large to fit on the truck that you've had to cut in half? Uh, we have had, so a school district here in Palo Alto needed us to pick up uh, actually their playground. So that was something, that, and it was a huge playground. So that was something we had to break apart. Oh, so I'm guessing you have to cut slides apart. You have to get out a blowtorch or something well, to actually cut one. things apart. That was an unusual one, but yes. <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132. I'm here talking right now with Luis Perez. He is the founder and CEO at Remove. So... What have you done to build awareness of Remove? Yeah, so we've been up to this point. We've been a bootstrap company. We're racing our first round right now. So we've done a little bit of what we call, you know, the growth hacking, guerrilla marketing, which is um, trying to get the word out there. By So one of the things we did is that we partnered. Uh, we've been partnering with people that we think would be the referral partners for us. So that included real estate agents, interior decorators, professional organizers, and they became the advocates for us. And the, the reason they did that is because we, were, we found a way in which our service could make their jobs easier. And by doing that, it allowed us to you know, make it easy for them to kind of recommend our company to their clients. And it also allowed us to have repeat customers. Because when you view the real estate agent as a client as well, you know, now you have repeat business. A real estate agent might be sending us you know, three, four, five, six pickups in a year. So I've, I've heard of this new Netflix show. And it's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Has that had an impact on your business? I, it's a pretty new show, but I do think it's had a little bit of an impact. I mean, we've had now a lot of people that are coming in and telling us, oh, you know, I just learned about this. I Googled it or I, a friend told me about Marie Kondo and I started looking around my house and figuring out what I could get rid of. You know, I have this 10 items. Can you come pick them up? So I do think it's actually been a positive. And are you thinking about tapping into it in some way? Uh, yeah, so one of the things we did is that we found the Marie Kondo consultants in the Bay Area, and we emailed all of them, uh, and a few of them actually already booking pickups. And do you just let them know about you, or when you're building relationships like that, is there any kind of economic relationship that's aligned with them? Yeah, so it depends. With, uh, with a lot of the real estate agents that we work with, they don't care. Uh, what they care about, I mean, for them, the pain point is when someone wants to sell a house, getting them out of the house is one of their biggest issues. It's time consuming. And, you know, if it takes two extra months to get the person out of the house, it's two more months of work and two months longer that you have to maintain that relationship and move on to a new client. So when we tell them, you know, work with Remove and I'll get you, you know, we can get the person out in a week. Uh, it's been phenomenal for them. And, you know, when we told them, we offered a lot of them a referral fee and they, they told us that they didn't really care. They just wanted to be able to do the sale because, you know, 6% on a property in, uh, in the Bay Area is pretty nice already. 
Um, some of the other ones, like uh, professional organizers or decorators, we do offer that commission, uh, and it's mostly more as a thank you. The majority of them don't really care. I mean, most of the most of these referral partners that we work with, what they care about is their relationship with the client. So anything that's going to make the client better and happier, they that's what they care about. Well, well, one of the things you're you're really the expert here, but I do have an idea for you. But you you might not want to use this. Is I'm sure you have a lot of estate sales. And people are doing it. Maybe you could do something like people are dying to work with Remove. <laughs> you don't think yeah. so? But in all seriousness, do you go to funeral directors and people that are involved with settling estates as a way to come in and get business? Is that an opportunity for you? It is, uh, actually. So we've been working with, like, probate real estate agents, and that is, and we're looking to start talking also to, like, uh, lawyers and all those are, like, family attorneys and trust lawyers. So that would be the first one. It wouldn't really work so well and when you try to do the marketing online because when we thought about it originally is, like, when someone's going through that situation, you don't want to put an ad as, like, hey, and, hey, you know, your parents went through this situation, you know, use remove. So you have to be, depending on the type of customer, you really do have to, change your messaging around it. What is the messaging you use then for people that are in bereavement and they're figuring out what to do with all of grandma's belongings? Yeah, so for, for most of the stuff is like, let us deal with everything so you can focus on your family. That's usually one of the biggest ones. I mean, when someone dies in your family, this is probably one of the most traumatic situations that someone's going through, which is funny because in terms of like remove in general, we're helping people in some of the most chaotic transitions in their life. I mean, when moving, it's considered one of the top five most traumatic moments in a person's life. So in general, we are dealing with clients that are in a very tough situation. So we have to be very cognizant of that. And it requires a little bit of, you know, very much about being very perceptive to the needs and the, un- and, and the desires and of, of, the, of the client. Um, but for, particularly for like people who have passed, we're working mostly with uh, the kids. And their kids, they tend to be usually in their you know, 40s and 50s. And for them, that situation, they just they don't know what to do. I mean, they've never been through this before. They don't know. They have to figure out how to sell the house. They have to figure out you know, who's going to take what thing. How do you, you know, dispose of the state? What, what's going to happen with everything else that mom left behind? So being Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've been yeah. through this before. And you reach a point when you start to go through a loved one's belongings where you start to think, I can't believe they kept this, and I can't believe they kept <laughs> yeah. this, and really, you need all those old paper bags? And it yep. gets to a point where you start to separate it out. So to a certain extent, you're solving a problem for people because you're really helping them offload this problem that they never thought they were going to have. That is correct, yes. So who are the competitors that are out there? Who do you compete with? Are they alternatives or are they other startups? So the way we view the competitive landscape is one of the other options that people could use instead of us. I mean, the service that we offer, we are pretty much the only company that does exactly what we do. But when you look in the competition, you try to look at what, what other ways can people solve their pain point. And the first one that we look at is, junk hauling companies, you know, you can talk about a 1-800-GOT-JUNK and uh, Junk King and so on and so forth. I mean, people can just pay someone to come pick it up and throw everything away, and that's it. The other one is uh, DIY marketplaces. You can also go around and sell the stuff yourself, and that's everything from, like, Craigslist to OfferUp to Facebook Marketplace. Um, 
we also view like, you know, self-storage units as or our, your garage as our competition. Because if you don't want to get rid of your stuff or if you have a bunch of stuff you don't want, if you don't use us, you might end up actually putting it in storage. So that's kind of the way we view it as um, in terms of the competitive landscape. And then there's for the state sale in particular, it tends to be more the more traditional um, state sale companies. That's mostly a mom and pop. They'll come in, categorize the items, and then publicize the market. You know, a state liquidation for the weekend for people to go through your house. Now, one of the alternatives I've heard about is donations, where you yeah. write it off, and if you're giving a fifty percent commission, is it that much different? to pay the, you know, to not get as much in taxes? Yeah, so we actually work with a lot of the donation companies with everything from Goodwill to St. Vincent uh, and so on. Um, and we do the provide that receipts as well. But there, there's a few issues with the donations. First of all, anything that's higher end, uh, it usually doesn't, um, you're not going to get any money back. You might get something that write-off. But the reality is that almost, especially in the Bay Area, almost everyone that's going to get any type of donation receipt is going to be pretty limited and it's not really going to be, uh, they're not even going to be eligible to uh, remove them from their taxes uh, because of the AMT. Um, and then if you have something that's higher end, you want to be able to get some money back for it. Um, yeah, well, so I think, that's a big, <laughs> and I think a brilliant part of your model is that you charge people to take it away. So that way you're able to avoid losing money up front and then you can get, people can make more money afterwards. And that's exactly, I mean, because I know in Silicon Valley, you get a lot of pressure in terms of, like, offer your service for free. And I was very much against it from the start. I mean, I figured there's a cost to providing the service. And if people are not willing to pay that cost, then you don't really have a business. Um, so we build the, you know, the business model and the cost and the pricing model based on how much does it cost and what's the willingness to pay. And, um, and the whole idea is, yeah, we, we want to be able to build a service that actually, you know, provide some value, and that is profitable. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And I'm here right now with Luis Perez. He's the founder and CEO at Remove. So I'd love to hear a little more about how the process works from the moment that you get the pictures and you take them in, and then you start to think about what do I sell? What do I recycle? What do I end up throwing out? How does that process work from a business point of view? Yeah, so we get the photos in our system, we, whether someone texts them or uploads them. And uh, up to this point, what we were doing is that we uh, contracted a bunch of appraisers uh, across the U.S. and each one kind of became kind of the, the appraiser for one category because they were very knowledgeable in it. And they would see the photos and then they would do a quick appraisal on it. Um, and then from there, we would do the pricing and all that. Now we've had now all this data, and now we're building this uh, artificial intelligence that's able to view the photo and kind of determine what something is and whether it should be resellable or not and uh, the price. So who actually looks at the photos? So the photo is taken. It goes into your system. Who is the person that's actually looking at these first? We have a few. So the first person that we have is actually someone that we have out is Samantha. And what she does is that she puts the categories around them, um, which now is automated. But she's been traditionally the one that actually puts um, the category for the item and puts the initial assessment of whether something is resale, donation, and recycle. And from there, depending on the item, it kind of gets moved over to the appraisers, and then it gets sent out to the customer. And where is Samantha? Is she also in the Bay Area? Uh, Utah. In Utah. How do you find her? 
Uh, so this is a great resource. So I'm a big believer in um, moms, uh, essentially a lot of professional females that want to be able to have a, a job that uh, allows them to you know, work from home or it's a little bit more flexible. So I found this website that was called Hire My Mom. And um, we've actually uh, we have hired three moms that work from home and they're phenomenal. Are they all in Utah? And, no, Utah, Arkansas and San Diego. Okay, so you're really all over the place here. It's really oh, yeah. an outsourced organization. And do they just get different photos at a certain time of day? So the mom in Utah might get one in the morning and then Arkansas in the afternoon and then San Diego in the evening. How does that how do you split the photo oh, distribution? Yeah, so it depends on the availability. They come in and they uh will start um Depending on the type of item, they log in throughout the day, and that's part of the reason they like to work with us is because it's a flexible workspace. So they log in throughout the day, and then they'll see their queue of stuff that they need to do, and they just go through it. And do you give them software to do this? Is there a web interface, or do they get emails? Uh, uh, We build a web interface that allows all this to happen. So a lot of our work that we've been building since we started is how do we build a model that's easily scalable? And how do we be? And the idea was like we need to build a decentralized system, so that at each location, as we expand to new markets, all we really need is a person with a truck. Everything so, else should be already built. So after they have helped you tag what's in it, and I'm guessing help you size what truck do you need to send and do all those pieces. Once you get these goods and you've gone through the appraiser. How do you actually sell them? And I think you're affiliated with something or you have a site called The Local Flea? Yeah, correct. So once we receive the items and they've been appraised, depending on the, on, on the type of item, the tags around that item, for example, if it's furniture, shabby chic, modern, if it's electronics or clothing, what we do is that we match it to the appropriate resale market. I mean, one of those is we have our own online store, which is The Local Flea. Um, we have all our inventory on there. And we launched that really because People had bought from us, wanted to see everything else that was coming in. But then we also sell through every other marketplace out there. For example, we work with, uh, you know, Cherish and The Real Real and Poshmark and ThreadUp and OfferUp, LetGo, Craigslist, eBay. I mean, we have probably about, there's probably about 400 different marketplaces that we've identified. And they each become very specific in their type of products that they sell. And, that's, and, and, and the buyers that go on there, they're looking for those type of items. So we publish that inventory to the appropriate marketplace. So can you talk a little bit about the scale that you're at now? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, we're now, we've mostly bootstrapped the first three years. We've gotten to a point where we've tripled in size over the past year. Uh, now we're doing about 120 pickups per month, and we're at about a $1.5 million run rate. And that's on GMV that comes through, or how do you measure yeah. that? Yeah, so it's a combination of revenue, both on the resale revenue, the GMV, as well as the pickup fee. And what's the breakout between the two? Is it about 50-50, or is it much more GMV? No, so it's about uh, it's about 55%, uh, 50-55% uh, pickup fee and the rest in GMV. So a more fun question, what do you expect to do next year? Do you expect to triple again? We hope so. I mean, we've uh, bootstrapped, we've gone to a point where we have a model that's... Um, we have negative working capital. We have very positive unit economics, and we've been bootstrapped. I mean, our marketing spend nowadays has been about $2,000, $3,000 a month. And now we have a point where we're doing very well in terms of the customer acquisition. So that's why we're trying to race. I mean, the idea is 
over the next 18 months, we'd like to become about 10 times bigger. And just for about, we have about 30 seconds here. Where should people expect Remove to be in three to five years? What will the company look like? Yeah, in three to five years, we hope to be, you know, 50 to 100 markets across the U.S., pretty much anywhere people are moving, recycling, or they have stuff to sell. Uh, the idea is over the next two months, over the next uh, year, we want to open up two new markets, uh, probably San Diego and Phoenix, uh, and then kind of go from there. Well, it sounds like you picked retirement communities for some odd reason. <laughs> so it's Phoenix for retirement communities, San Diego for military communities. Well, great. Well, any quick advice that you have for people that are thinking about starting something? About 20 seconds yeah. of advice? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing is just do it. I mean, you don't know what if there's any demand. And, and just do it. Don't spend too long trying to make it perfect. Just launch it because it will change whatever idea you have. It will change. Well, that's great advice. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Rob. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 